Engaging Leader, Episode 161, Becoming a Stress-Resilient Leader, featuring Dr. Andrew Chate. inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Chronic stress takes a toll on the quality of work and life for both leaders and the people we lead. Stress muddies our thinking, impairs judgment, damages health and relationships, and causes people to burn out and quit their job. The solution, according to Dr. Andrew Chate, is for leaders to become stress resilient and to teach resilience to our team. Learning resilience gets to the root cause of stress by helping people improve how they respond to adversity. In episode 32 of our other podcast series, Workforce Health Engagement, Andrew joined me to discuss how to train employees to tackle the seven core components of stress resilience, not by attempting to eliminate stress, but by markedly improving their ability to handle it. I'm excited to have Andrew join me again today here on Engaging Leader to talk about resilient leadership. What does it mean to build stress resilience in ourselves as leaders, but also to mentor our team and to create an overall resilient workplace? I would encourage you to go check out episode 32 of Workforce Health Engagement. This discussion about resilient leadership will work very well on its own, too. I think you'll find both discussions helpful. They're definitely covering different material, but you'll get a lot out of just this episode as well. Now, Andrew Chate, for those who aren't familiar, is co-author of two books about resilience and stress management. He is a psychologist and research professor in the College of Medicine at the University of Arizona. He's a Brookings Institution fellow, and he's the chief science officer at the online stress management company, Mequilibrium. Andrew has spent more than 20 years researching resilience, and he's established resilience programs operating around the world, including organizations ranging from NASA to Fortune 500 companies like Comcast and HP. Dr. Andrew Chate, welcome to Engaging Leader. Jesse, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Andrew, can you explain what you mean for us uh, when you use the term resilience or stress resilience? Yeah, a lot of people think that resilience is a squishy concept, but it really isn't. Uh, It's comprised of seven primary components. There are more, but these are the primary ones. And they are your ability to control your feelings under pressure, your ability to control your impulses to behave in ways that may not fit your goals when you're under pressure, your ability to do brute problem solving, uh, to be a good problem solver, your belief in yourself and a sense of mastery in the world, a realistic optimism, an optimism but grounded in reality, empathy that enables you to build a social support network that can buoy you when times are tough, and finally, what we call reaching out, your willingness and ability to take on challenges and opportunities that come your way. Um, we've been trying to understand the, the pieces and ingredients of resilience since the mid-90s, and these are the seven that we've concluded are, are the most primary. Now, you recently released a study showing, among other things, that highly paid and highly educated workers, including leaders, 
are actually worse than average employees in terms of stress and resilience. What's going on there? Well, we were very surprised by this finding, Jesse. We had done previous research that showed that the higher you went up in an organization, the higher you tended to measure on those seven ingredients. Now, that wasn't surprising because we believed that resilience uh, was a competency, a core competency. And if you had it and you put it into place in your job, um, then you would perform uh, very well and you would get noticed and you would get promoted. So in study after study, we found that the higher you went up the pyramid, uh, the more resilience you saw. In this most recent study, what we're seeing is that education is not a guarantee that you're going to be resilient. In fact, about 45% of people with a graduate degree um, were below the mean on resilience. And in addition, in this high paid bracket um, of 75K to 90K a year, we found that 54% of people were below the mean on resilience. So what that really showed us was resilience may get you there, but the kinds of pressures that you're under may be systematically eroding that resilience, um, which long term is just not viable. So you end up with some of your most valuable people and and, and many leaders that uh, you you risk losing them to stress to burnout to depression or, and and just quitting the company. Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, fascinating that we find um, that with low resilience, you're vulnerable to all of those kinds of things. In addition, you know, of those 54% of employees making between 75K to 90K who had below average resilience, 42% of them, so almost half, intended to quit their job in the next six months. So they, they'd had enough. Uh, they were done. Um, and so resilience may have gotten them there, but what we're seeing is that in, in current climates, people are just being worn down by the stress of their jobs. And that's going to leave lead them vulnerable to burnout, depression, anxiety. Um, they're going to become less engaged in their job. Their productivity and performance is going to trail off. And, um, you know, we're going to see that they're likely going to leave. So if you are a leader and maybe you recognize some of these problems in yourself, you're, you're chronically stressed out and overwhelmed, or you're, you're seeing that on your team, where do you start to improve? You really need to boost those seven factors. Uh, and primary among them is the ability to be emotion regulated. Uh, now, we know that there are key ways of thinking that get in the way of all seven of those uh, factors that make up resilience. It turns out that how we think is the primary predictor of how resilient we are. And it turns out that we develop styles of thinking that are in place by the time we're in middle childhood and we're just not aware of them. So in the Equilibrium program, what we do is to measure people across these seven ingredients, among others that are integral to stress, well-being, uh, mental and emotional health, physical health, diet, nutrition, exercise, sleep, pain management, and a slew of different factors that are important in stress, stress management and well-being. And we direct people to very specific and concrete skills that will help them challenge their thinking around these key areas. How we think is pivotal. So uh, as I was 
the, the sort of thinking traps that we fall into is I was reading through your book, Mequilibrium, and in terms of this, this uh, emotional regulation, the concept made a lot of sense that when I'm feeling stressed, I need to don't just assume that w- my emotions are, are revealing the actual reality. That I, I may actually just be feeling a certain way, and, but what's the, what's the real situation behind that? Yes, that's absolutely right. You know, we find that because these thinking styles are habits, um, they're easy, like any habit. We can fall into it very easily. So when we're tired, when we are chronically stressed, when we're under pressure, unfortunately and ironically, we tend to default to those thinking styles even more heavily. Uh, and as a result, we end up making bad decisions, getting more emotional than we otherwise would. So for example, there's a really powerful thinking style called emotion radars that each and every one of us has. Mine happens to be around violation of rights. I learned in my family of origin to scan for violations of my rights. And if I scan long and hard enough, I'm gonna find a violation even if it's not there. (laughs) And that's gonna lead me to be angry. For other people, they tend to be scanning for future threat. That's what they learned in their families, and so they get anxious. For others, they're scanning for loss, and so they get they tend to get sad and depressed. And for others, and your leaders are going to be fully aware of this, for others, they tend to scan for lack of resources, and so they tend to get frustrated a lot. Um, so in addition, we know that there are thinking styles that get in the way of good problem solving. Now we can teach people concrete skills to recognize their thinking style and to get around it when they're under pressure. So they're not falling into those pitfalls. And the interesting thing is that there is a personal skill set of resilience. So your question before was if you're a leader and you're feeling yourself getting depleted and you recognize that your team is as well, what can you do about it? Well, there is a personal skill set of resilience that's really important for the individual that boosts these seven, but there are also really important things that leaders can do that create the groundwork to enable the resilience of their people to flourish. And they're very different from the individual skill set. Hmm. So can you give us some examples of those? Yeah, I often ask leaders, have you ever noticed that you tend to stay calm and focused more under pressure than the people that you lead? And 90% of them say, yeah, I do. Um, Leaders tend to get promoted because they're the ones um, who stayed calm and got noticed for staying calm. I ask leaders, have you ever noticed that you tend to get into problem-solving mode faster when an adversity comes up and stay in it longer? And 90% of them say yes. And, And again, this is no mystery. They tended to get the job done, and so they got promoted. So we talk about differences in thinking style between they and the people that they lead um, and how they can bridge those differences. So for example, when it comes to problem solving, some people tend to very quickly look at the causes of a problem that are to do with them, that are problem solvable and damage controllable. Uh, We call those people me, not always, not everything. So they're looking for those causes that are to do with them, that they can easily solve, um, that they can do something about and damage control. We find that some people have a style um, which is always and everything. I'm one of them. So my first tendency is to locate those causes of a problem that by definition are going to be around forever and affect everything I do. 
uh, an always everything kind of explanation. And lower down in an organization, you see a preponderance of always everything people. And higher up, you see more not always, not everything. So we can help leaders bridge that gap. So they're not doing this for them, um, but with very a very concrete skill set, they're bringing their people to more of a flexible way of thinking, say in their team meetings or the way that they whiteboard and approach solving a problem. Hmm. So first of all, we're we're in ourselves and and in the people we lead, we're recognizing the importance of emotional regulation, and um, we're identifying that a lot of times when we're stressed, uh, we need to figure out what's what's the real root issue of what's causing that stress. So as you said, a lot of times we're we're scanning our our typical thinking patterns are to scan what's going on and look for certain things. And a lot of leaders are often looking for a, um, a prob- resource shortage. So that, that drives to frustration. Or I guess another, in the book, there was, um, it seems like a lot of leaders would, are, are, are so concerned about their credibility and their, comp- their competence. And uh, so that, that looking like they, uh, worrying that others are going to see them as dropping the ball. Um, it, it would, would, would cause a, a, a sort of an embarrassment type of emotion. That's exactly right. Um, what we find is that some people have developed a motion radar around loss of standing. So they're scanning for how people may be evaluating them negatively. And so they have a tendency to get embarrassed. Now, truth in advertising, what we find is that people who have that particular kind of issue Uh, they tend not to get promoted because they haven't stuck their hand up. They haven't stuck their head up. They keep their heads down. They don't, while they may want to make it through the promotional pathway, uh, the the potential loss of opening themselves up to that uh, is not worth it by um, by their analysis. So we don't tend to find that embarrassment people make it up through the ranks. Mm. So it really is more of the, the, those that, are stressed out because there's feels seems like a lack of resources. Would that just even include their own time? I'm being pulled in too many directions, and there's not enough for me to go around. Yeah, I think that all of our organizations are tending to go through massive transformations. We have many of our Fortune 500 companies that are completely reinventing themselves. Uh, maybe moving to more of an online presence versus bricks and mortar or recognizing that their traditional business core is no longer what people want. And I think that's put an enormous amount of strain on employees. Um, for the long, for the longest time now, employees have been willing to leave their companies and companies have been willing to downsize their employees. Uh, and that puts a lot of stress on us as well. So uh, I think that once you get to these high level senior leadership positions, you're under an enormous amount of stress to perform. Uh, You don't need to be an embarrassment loss of standing person to feel that pressure. And I think that's one of the reasons why our study found found what it did, um, that, you know, 54% of people in that senior leadership pay bracket um, are are below the mean on on resilience. It's just been worn down over time. Hmm. So uh, I want to clarify, make sure I'm I'm understanding you, though. So the... There, there's this, these seven core components of resilience, but when you, when you, that we we personally experience. But when we're leading a team, uh, is it the same seven that we're 
teaching them and, and guiding them through uh, just in a different way? It's a great question, Jesse. And basically, you anticipated years of research that we embarked in, um, really beginning in, in about 2006. For the longest time, uh, when people ask me, what is a resilient leader? I would say to them, it's someone who's really strong on those seven ingredients. So they are resilient and they happen to be in a leadership position. Or well, I could not have been more wrong. <laughs> it is true that having that resilience and modeling it to, to your people, so showing them how it's done is a really key part of being a resilient leader. But there's much more as well. Uh, we say that resilient leaders model resilience, they mentor resilience, and they also make a resilient workplace. So they lead the way. When there's an adversity, they show how they keep calm and get into problem-solving mode fast, and so they model it. Secondly, they can mentor in emotion regulation and better problem solving. And we teach leaders very concrete skills to bring their people to calm and focus faster and have them do better problem solving as a team than they have ever before. But that third ingredient of making a resilient workplace, um, that's also really important. What do I mean by that? We've been able to see that there are certain environmental, organizational factors that need to be in place uh, in order for uh, the resilience of employees to emerge. So for example, um, you have to have a positive workplace. Now, the more stress we get um, and the more pressure in a workplace, the more our brains, which are naturally negative leaning anyway, tend to move more towards the negative. You know, we have these brains that are very good at, um, at analyzing things negatively. Because if we get blindsided by something bad, something we haven't predicted, that's extremely costly. But um, if we are constantly scanning for bad and picking it up, that's highly adaptive. And when we get under stress in our organizations, our brains become even more negative. So a resilient leader injects positivity. They make sure that they celebrate their successes, time, take time out to do that. They inject happiness. They inject pride in work. Uh, they inject um, a, a, sense of, uh, in, a sense of integrity around the work product, um, a sense of, uh, of pride, as I said. Um, and joy, uh, even joy. So that's one of the ways in which a resilient leader can help make a resilient workplace. And that requires very, very concrete steps that we teach. So can you, can you give us an example or two of those steps? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that we encourage leaders to do is we say, look, you spend most of your time during a week dealing with problems. Um, so at the end of each week or every other week, whether it be virtual or whether it be in a, in a team meeting where you're all physically present, why don't you say, okay, look, this week we've spent a lot of time solving problems. Let's talk about one thing that went well this week and why it did. Or let's each share one thing that went well this week for us. And just that provides a counterbalance to that negative leaning brain. We've also found that another way that resilient leaders can make a resilient workplace is by boosting the integrity of the system. Um, when we find that the system lacks integrity, 
that people who don't really deserve a promotion are getting it for political reasons. There's a lack of transparency in the communication of information around what's planned in the future of the company. We find that it, it, even the most resilient person is not going to be able to utilize their resilience under those circumstances. If you don't know the rules of the game or they're constantly changing or the goalposts are moving, then that's going to put a low ceiling on the resilience of your people. So we teach very concrete ways for leaders to improve that integrity. We also know that values are absolutely key. And Jesse, I know that that you will appreciate this, that um, the website values promoted by a, by a company often aren't the real values by which they <laughs> operate. That's true. And, and the degree of discrepancy between the website values and the real and the real workplace values um, varies across different organizations. So we help leaders come up with a set of workplace values that they can share with their employees that reflect real practices, things that are going to hold up even when the organization is under pressure, um, a set of values that um, that their employees can rely on. So that, that's another way that uh, we know that uh, employees, uh, I'm sorry, leaders can make a resilient workplace. But probably the critical ingredient, the most important way that leaders can help make a resilient workplace is by promoting a sense of meaning, mission, and purpose. Yeah, it's which is, I mean, I know that's big, a big trend, but it's uh, easier said than done, and it's a big gap at many companies. Like, ev- like everything that we've done, Jesse, you're right. Like everything we've done, um, we've been very empirical in our approach. So one of the first things we did when we began to discover how important this sense of meaning, mission, and purpose is, is to really deconstruct it. Um, what is a sense of meaning, mission, and purpose? So we interviewed tens of thousands of employees and asked them why they stayed in their job. And what we found was that there were three basic buckets of answers. Some people would say, I'm pretty much just here for the pay and the benefits, which as you can see is the lowest sense of meaning, mission, and purpose. Others would say, you know, I I, I need the paycheck and I like the benefits, but I also enjoy the work and I enjoy my my, my colleagues, which is sort of the level two, um, a higher sense of connection to their job. And then we'd have some, and there were a minority of employees who would say to us, yeah, I need the paycheck, I like the benefits, I like the work, I enjoy my colleagues, but more than that, I, um, I feel like what I do contributes to something larger than myself, either the future of this organization, my industry, my people, or even the health and wellness and welfare of my community or my nation. And unfortunately, only about 30% of people in the private sector ever make it to that highest level of connection. And we studied the the sorts of impediments that get in the way here. Why is it that people can't see their way clear um, to that highest level of connection? And we are able to equip leaders with, again, a set of very concrete skills to help people move beyond those impediments. Oh, that's interesting. So just to reiterate here that... um, I think you once upon a time, and I guess I would have assumed that what what makes a a great uh, a resilient leader, a leader of a resilient team of people, would would be having resilience and modeling that, leading by example. And you're saying it's really just one part of the three things that a great leader needs to do. They also need to mentor their team to 
bring people to calm, lead them through the stressful situations and get them more quickly into a positive problem solving mode. And then number three, to build a resilient workplace, have the the systems and the culture and the the values and the meaning and purpose in place that um, promotes resilience. Exactly so. So I would think about being personally resilient when it comes to resilient leadership as being a necessary but not sufficient condition. You really do need to be resilient yourself to be a resilient leader, but it's not enough. You need to be able to mentor your people in resilience, particularly, as you said, emotion regulation, staying calm and focused and doing good problem solving. And, you know, for a lot of leaders, um, knowledge of the emotion radars is a golden ticket for them. They're like, I've never really understood why people got so emotional because I never do. Now I get it. Um, And we give them very concrete questions that they can ask their employees, depending on the emotion they're seeing in that employee, to bring them to calm and focus faster. And they've never really understood why some people give up prematurely. But when we show them that their tendency learned in childhood is to immediately look at what they cannot solve and control, then they get it. Leaders get why people give up and they can help them get flexible around that. And that making the resilient workplace, uh, we've done a lot of work on that recently. It's emerging as being really, really essential, particularly in today's climate where there is so much chop and churn. Um, So the tendency for the negative to be overemphasized um, and not seeing things even handedly emotionally. And in addition, needing when everything else around you is chop and churn, needing that sense of mission needing those consistent values to be in place um, in order to have that North Star, you know, that fixed navigational aid. Andrew, you've got a couple books that folks who want to know more um, can, can, can get a lot of assistance from. Um, your, your first book was The Resilience Factor, Seven Keys to Finding Your Inner Strength and Overcoming Life's Hurdles. And then more recently, Mequilibrium, 14 days to cooler, calmer, happier. Is there, would you, would you suggest one book over the other as sort of a first step? You know, I I think that there's several years in between them. So by and large, I think Equilibrium is going to be more comprehensive. Um, It came out in 2015. So it's more up to date. I would say that if you're interested in boosting your own personal resilience, that the earlier book, The Resilience Factor, might be the one. But if you're more interested in the system of resilience and how it interplays with stress management and all aspects of functioning, including work, if you want to get that kind of leadership perspective on this, then the 2015 book, Equilibrium might be a better option. And I, I know a lot of our listeners from having conversations with them have uh, like book clubs with um, not necessarily with all their employees, but with their, their direct reports or their sort of key leaders, uh, high potential leaders at their organization. So a weekly or monthly um, book discussion group. And it it struck me that the book Equilibrium might be a a good one to actually go through with a, a group of, of, of high potential people. Well, I appreciate that. And I think it would be. Um, I think that the more you can 
um, join forces around these concepts, create a system even in your immediate team um, that can support these concepts, even equip you with a common language. So you're using the language of um, emotion radars and thinking styles um, can be very helpful for an, an organization. And having that vocabulary in, in, in place seems to be very, very important. Yeah, and that book, because it's it breaks it down into pretty bite-sized chunks, uh, you, you could essentially do it in uh, one or two meetings to talk through the introduction and then have a meeting for each day of the that the book takes you through the process. Again, I appreciate that idea. I think it's a good one. And, you know, you could cherry pick one or two areas. We really tried to cover the entire watershed of resilience and stress in that book. I think it's pretty comprehensive and, in fact, daunting, I think, for some people. <laughs> but if you cherry-picked a couple of things that seem to be most important to you and your team, I think there's a lot of value in that. How about listeners who want to take it to uh, a next level or or get more uh, assistance from you? What uh, What are the services or programs that you offer? Well, we offer both training in uh, the individual components of resilience and also the resilient leader. Um, we have an online program that's highly customized for individuals um, that we offer uh, at an organizational level. Um, and I would ask people to go to www.meequilibrium, which is equilibrium with an M on the front, .com. And there's a lot of downloadable information there about what our program is, about the research validation of its effectiveness, um, and also a lot of contact details uh, for people to reach out to our staff to get more information. And then how about how about for uh, leadership training? It sounded like you do some specific things for leaders. We do, and it's covered by that same umbrella. So ah. um, Equilibrium website is going to be a, a font of information for that as well. Okay. So do organizations um, essentially implement the Equilibrium program and they get both the employee uh, components as well as the, the leader components, or is it like two separate modules? It's two separate modules, and organizations vary on whether they want both or just one. Um, most of the organizations that we work with want resilience for their people. So they're going for um, our basic Equilibrium product. When I say basic, it's really not. We have over 50 skills, an enormous number of activities. We have an assessment that people take when they come in, um, and then an algorithm that will assign them exactly the skills they need. So it's tightly customized. We have constant um, contact with them. It's very interactive um, and supports them as they make their multi-year journey. Um, through the, the skill set. Um, the resilient leader uh, is uh, a, more of a process that people go through, but we support it um, with uh, webinars that are cu customized to the individual organization and client. So both the employee modules and the, the resilient leader program are, are web-based and self-paced. Uh, the, the, the user just goes through it at their own, their own pace? Exactly so. Now, some organizations in terms of the resilient leader will say, you know, we want to cover one module a month. And so, um, you know, we pace it that way. But uh, they they both certainly are um, self-paced programs. Again, the website is mequilibrium.com. That's equilibrium with an M at the beginning. Andrew Schatze, thank you for joining us in Engaging Leader. Jesse, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. 
All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. Again, Andrew's newest book is Equilibrium: 14 Days to Cooler, Calmer, and Happier. And we'll provide all the information and links that we talked about on our show notes for this episode, which you can find at engagingleader.com. This is a production of Asmodel Communications, a consulting firm that specializes in workforce communications. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results in several areas, including talent management, workforce health engagement, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Monica Harrison, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cecily Leahy, our web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, in the 21st century, the real movers and shakers aren't just leaders, they're engagers. Engagers.